BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. War has returned to the Middle East in its most barbaric, brutal, horrific, grisly, unspeakably, indescribably ghoulish variety. This weekend, on the morning of the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, Shabbat in Israel, around 6.30 a.m. local time, a Shabbat that happened to coincide with a Jewish holiday, the holiday of Shemini Atzeret slash Simchat Torah. What should have been a joyous occasion, one of the most unambiguously joyous times on the Jewish calendar, where we are explicitly commanded to rejoice. What should have been a time for family, celebration, joy, thanking Hashem, thanking God, was turned into the darkest day in the history of the Jewish state of Israel since its modern reincarnation in May of 1948. October 7th will go down in infamy as the worst single day in the history of Israel. It is absolutely, as many are already calling it, Israel's version of 9-11 here in the United States. In fact, the actual death toll, which as of the time I am recording this is estimated to be between six to 700 or so, that number tragically may even go up from there. So many more wounded in addition to that. It actually amounts to way more 9-11s if you actually want to do a comparative relative to population equation. No need for that, but just to drive home the point. In addition to the death toll, the number of those who are wounded and recovering in hospitals, there are tons of hostages. We do not know how many hostages. We can only estimate. I've seen some estimates over 100, some under 100, but there are many, many Israeli bodies, both dead and alive, inside Gaza right now, inside that hellish terrorist Islamist overrun hellhole. What happened was Hamas, the genocidal Islamist organization, which is just the Palestinian Arab offshoot of the International Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, in a raid that must have been organized months and months in advance, undoubtedly with training, sophisticated coordination with the Iranian regime based in Tehran, Hamas launched an unprecedented strike against Israel. Qualitatively different, not merely in degree, but also in kind than the previous Israel-Hamas skirmishes since that horrific outfit first took root in the Gaza Strip around 2007 or so. The images and the photos and the videos are very difficult to describe if you have not already seen them. Hamas, a land, sea, and air assault. They bulldozed down the border, infiltrated the border over land. They went through the tunnels. They popped up in kibbutzim, in the kibbutzes, the farming communities near the Gaza border. By all accounts, one kibbutz down near Gaza has been all but completely wiped out. There are very few survivors there. Hamas has built these elaborate terror tunnels over the course of the past 15, 16 years for purposes of slaughtering civilians. They were paragliding in, paragliding into the beaches up towards Ashkelon. There was a music festival held near the Gaza Strip, a techno-trans music festival in the desert near Gaza, Friday night into Saturday. Many international folks were there, not merely Israelis. 
they paraglided in to the festival. 250 dead people from that festival. Body bags as far as the eye can see. Girls slaughtered, raped, forcibly raped next to the corpses of their friends. They went door to door, these Hamas thugs, in towns all along the border. And really, sometimes not even that close to the border. Yes, they were in Sterot, which is right on the border. They even managed to get as far in as Ofakim, which is closer to Beersheba in the central part of the Negev, the southern part of the country. They were going door to door, taking hostages, killing, shooting, slaughtering anyone and everyone. Child, adult, elderly civilian, wheelchaired person, babies. We do not know how many hostages, but we have seen on a truly ghoulish telegram channel, you can see children in cages back in Gaza. These animals, absolute barbarians. Sent to this world straight from hell. Where they will hopefully, God willing, end up. Animals. Absolute savages. Indiscriminately, wantonly shooting rockets. In addition to what I just said, 3,500 estimated rockets launched over a six to eight hour period. The state of Israel has a strong, robust missile defense system called Iron Dome. It is not strong enough to handle that barrage of rockets in that short period of time. And it failed. Iron Dome failed in many respects. There were a lot of failures here, Iron Dome being just one of them. For those of us who have family, friends, relatives, loved ones in Israel, this was a particularly trying time, as you can imagine. I am engaged, as I have said on the show before, to an Israeli woman. God willing, our wedding here will be in just over two months, getting really close. Her oldest brother lives in a town called Netivot. I have been there. It is just a handful of miles, easily under 10 miles, maybe five, six, seven miles or so from the Gaza border at the most. It is not terribly far from Sterot, which is right on the border and has taken the most rocket fire since the commencement of the evil Hamas regime in 2007. Netivot, like Sterot, like a lot of these communities there in the south, is a religious town, which meant that the folks there were totally offline for the Jewish Sabbath, and for the holiday. Many of us were on pins and needles waiting to hear from loved ones whether the Hamas thugs showed up at their house shooting, raping, kidnapping. Thank God my fiance's family is all accounted for and all okay. Horrific, indescribable stuff. Again, this is different from previous bursts of rocket fire. They literally invaded by land, sea, and air. Boats, paragliding, drones. Hamas now has drones that we didn't previously know that they had. And popping up over the border, bulldozing the border at times, running right through, using the tunnels to pop up into the kibbutzim, and elsewhere. Israel has formally declared war for the first time since the Yom Kippur War of 1973, which happened almost 50 years ago to the day. That is the last time that Israel has had an intelligence failure of this magnitude. We will get to that in just a little bit here. The timing of that seems like no coincidence. Surely they timed this 50 years, roughly, to the day since the Yom Kippur War of 1973, when Golda Meir was prime minister. It was an existential war for Israel's survival, only six years after the Six-Day War of 1967, that uh, Israel barely, barely won. It was a horrific conflict. Absolutely horrific. This is the worst atrocity since then. 
the worst intelligence failure, the worst everything since then. For some context, over the course of the Second Intifada, the bloodier and worse of the two prolonged Yasser Arafat-run intifadas from 2000 to 2005, the number of Israelis killed, civilian and military combined, was thirteen to 1,400 or so over the course of four and a half, just short of five years. In one day on October 7th, Israel's 9-11, that death toll is going to end up being probably almost half that, right around half of that. That is astonishing stuff. Devastating, heartbreaking, insert any adjective you would like to here. Indescribable stuff. Again, very difficult to describe if you have not seen the actual footage and the and the photos. So they have formally declared war. Prime Minister Netanyahu's government has gone the security cabinet. They have formally invoked the actual law that declares war. That is their functional equivalent here of the U.S. Congress declaring war. It's the first time they formally declared war since 1973. Israel, of course, has been in many military conflicts, unfortunately, since then. The 2006 war with Lebanon, the Intifadas, the Hamas skirmishes. This is their first formal declaration of war on the Hamas regime. Since 1973, all army reserves have been called up as part of this. And again, I can inject some some personal here. All of my fiance's cousins, her uncles, everyone up till the age of 60, which is pretty old. Everyone up to the age of 60 has been called out of reserves to give you an indication of the scale, the breadth of what is to come. One of my fiance's cousins is a girl who's getting married herself in a month and a half. We are planning to be there for that wedding in Israel, God willing. She has dropped everything to join the army. God bless her. Naftali Bennett, the former prime minister of Israel, reported to the military because he is in the reserves now. Leading by example, admirable there. Israel is on a war footing the most that it has been in my entire lifetime. And in the entire lifetime of anyone under the age of 50, again, this has not happened like this in 50 years since 1973. All army reserves called up. The tanks have gone south. The IDF tanks have gone south towards Stiro, toward the Gaza border. Prime Minister Netanyahu has warned civilians in Gaza to get the hell out of there. We will come back to this a little later in the, in the show. This is going to be a long, sustained, serious military operation. It's important to point to some context here. This did not come out of nowhere. Israeli intelligence somehow was caught markedly off guard, but... This obviously did not come from nowhere. In 2005, to go back and do a little history here, Israel unilaterally withdrew from the Gaza Strip in 2005. Around the time of the end of the Second Intifada, primarily oriented around Yasser Arafat and Judea and Samaria, a.k.a. the West Bank. And at this time in 2005, Israel voluntarily withdrew from the Gaza Strip as a down payment on peace is what the advocates described it as. It was considered a massive about face from Ariel Sharon, the one-time badass army commander from the Six-Day War of 1967, and at a time a super hawk when it came to the Lebanese Hezbollah issue, who had a bit of an about face later in his life and led the unilateral disengagement from 2005. The IDF tore up religious Jewish communities in Gaza, synagogues, Jewish cemeteries, you name it. It was a down payment on peace, was what they said. It hasn't worked out, I think would be the understatement of the century. What was supposed to be the Singapore of the Mediterranean, a beautiful piece of land, 
The IDF left the greenhouses there for the Arabs to build beautiful plants, horticulture, cultivate the land, turn something really nice and do something really special with it. The Palestinian Authority, the faction led by Yasser Arafat and now Mahmoud Abbas, who was in like the 17th or 18th year of his four-year term, something like that, they were unable to retain power in Gaza. And in the aftermath of a Palestinian-Arab civil war, the fanatical Islamist group Hamas took power. Why do I say that Hamas is a fanatical, genocidal Islamist group? Let me read you from the Hamas founding charter. This is the Hamas covenant of the Islamic resistance movement from 1988. Quote, the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews, when the Jews will hide behind stones and trees. The stones and trees will say, oh, Muslims, oh, Abdullah, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. Let me be very clear here. The founding charter of Hamas, which has ruled in Gaza since 2007, was really when they took hold after their dust-ups with the Palestinian Authority. Their founding charter calls for not just the annihilation of Israel, but for the death of every Jew worldwide. This is a fanatical, jihadist, Islamist, ideological regime. This is not a reasonable player on the world stage, the kind of state actor that will abide by the dictates of game theory, mutually assured destruction, and all of that Cold War era geopolitical strategizing. This is a fanatical fanatical regime. And there have been any number of conflicts with Hamas since then. The first was in December 2008 to January 2009. Operation Cast Lead, I believe, was the IDF's name for that particular operation. That was the first of the Hamas conflicts fairly shortly after Hamas came to power. There have been any number of others since then. There was Operation Returning Echo, a much shorter operation in 2012. There was Pillar of Defense, another IDF operation later in 2012. The longest Hamas war to date, to date, prior to the one that we are probably about to witness, was Operation Protective Edge in the summer of 2014. I remember it very well, which lasted about 50 days before a ceasefire was Reached. That was the last time that we saw tanks rolling in. It was the last time that there was a real land invasion into Gaza from the IDF. There have been any number, of course, of skirmishes since then. Hamas acts up willy-nilly whenever they want to rile up people in the West Bank to try to run to Jerusalem and go to the Temple Mount, what they call Al-Aqsa. March 2019, May 2019, any number of other skirmishes since then. November 2019, that was Operation Black Belt from the IDF. Nothing, nothing compared to what happened here. Again, the sheer sophistication of these attacks, the fact that it was land, sea, and air. They went after individual commanders, individual IDF commanders, at least four or five of whom, by my count, have been dead. They targeted high-ranking IDF brass. You think Hamas could do that on its own? Are you kidding me? This has the Iranian regime's fingerprints all over it. All over it. Not just the land, sea, and air. Again, just the sheer magnitude. Over 700 dead is the more accurate number that I am now seeing. 2,500 wounded, an estimated 100 abducted. So an estimated 100 hostages and already roughly half as many deaths as the entire Second Intifada combined, which lasted four and a half, almost five years. 2,500 wounded. Again, to call this their 9-11 on a statistical comparative basis would be underselling it. Iran, again, is behind this, obviously and transparently. The question is why. Why is Iran trying to do this? Well, a few reasons. Recall that Iran was just imbued with a $6 billion cash influx from the Biden administration, the Biden regime, along with Iranian prisoners who are here for legitimate charges, those prisoners, along with the $6 billion in ransom, were shipped to Iran recently to get American prisoners out of Iranian prison. 
at a staggering price of $1.2 billion a hostage. Now, recall that Antony Blinken and the Secretary of State and the various other idiots who run foreign policy in the United States said that that money was only for humanitarian or medical purposes or something like that. Get the hell out of here, morons. The Iranians literally said they were going to use it for whatever the hell they wanted to do it. And if you don't think that that money helped fund and plan this attack, then you are a moron. The United States taxpayer, via the Biden administration's atrocities with the Palestinians and the Iranians, has directly helped subsidize this unprecedented assault. The single bloodiest day for the Jewish people since the Shoah, since the Holocaust itself. That is literally what happened here. That is literally what people are saying, and I have no reason to, to not believe it based on my own looking through and perusing of, of the data. Iran wants to do this now for a simple reason, in my estimation, to kill the increasingly likely, it seems, rapprochement or the increasingly likely peace, more than rapprochement, the increasingly likely peace between Israel and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Mohammed bin Salman, the precocious crown prince, 38 years old or so, gave a fantastic interview with Brett Bayer in Saudi Arabia recently, really sounding quite optimistic about the chances of Saudi Arabia joining the Abraham Accords circle of peace with Israel. Prime Minister Netanyahu sounded very similar optimistic notes in his United Nations address before the UN General Assembly a few weeks ago. This has been all the talk in Middle East foreign policy circles for a while. The U.S. has been making lots of clandestine trips to Saudi Arabia to meet with Mohammed bin Salman and various other Saudi officials really trying to get this deal done. Ironically, one of the holdups to the deal, as an aside, has been the Biden administration's zealous insistence on radical concessions to the Palestinian Arabs. In fact... The report that I read is that both Israeli and Saudi sources, yes, Saudi sources included, were critical of the Biden administration for being too gung-ho, too zealous on the Palestinian issue for this normalization. Iran wants to blow this all up. Iran wants to blow up Israel's further integration into the Arab world. Of course, they made peace in the tail end of the Trump administration with Morocco, Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, and Sudan. Iran does not want the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is the most important Arab country in the region, to make peace with Israel. That, I do believe, is what is happening here as far as the timing. I saw Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas make the same point. I believe that that is what is happening here. And they were celebrating this attack in Iran. They burst out in cheers in the Iranian parliament, started chanting, death to America, death to Israel, death to the Zionist regime. Nice people, the Iranian regime. Nice, nice, nice people. The same people that the Obama administration got into the Iran nuclear deal with, led by the useful idiot Robert Malley, who we now know due to the intrepid reporting of Jay Solomon over at Semaphore, we now know was infiltrated by Iranian assets via a shadow group called the IEI, the Iran Experts Initiative. Basically, Iranian assets helped push Robert Malley into the Iran nuclear deal. Robert Malley is still the Biden administration to this day's point man when it comes to Iran. What utter, utter and complete idiocy is the United States' policy with this most genocidal and destructive of fanatical Islamist regimes, which is the Iranian regime. Iran is the essentially sole and exclusive funder of the Hezbollah, Shiite, supremacist, fundamentalist, Islamist group that has de facto control of Lebanon and has tens of thousands of precision-guided missiles aimed into the heart of Israel from Lebanon. Horrifying stuff if Hezbollah drops into this compact, if they jump in. Iran is the sole and exclusive funder of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, another Gaza-based jihadist group, and they also heavily fund, in addition to Qatar, Hamas. Make no mistake about it, this is Iran. Hamas is pulling the trigger, Hamas is doing the paragliding, Hamas is running into the tunnels, but this is Iran. 
Of course, the arguably the biggest story for me out of all of this is this. Well, the biggest story is the death toll. The biggest story, of course, is just the humanitarian catastrophe. But after that, one of the biggest stories for me, maybe the biggest story, is this failure of Israeli intelligence. How in the world did they miss this? We're talking here about the country that had 18 trucks, if I, have, if I, if I remember the number correctly, in Tehran in 2018 to basically ferret out top, top secret Iranian nuclear documents going back 20, 25 years. Back in 2009, 2010 or so, Israel, of course, had the Stuxnet virus, a computer virus, to stop the turnings of the centrifuges in the Iranian nuclear program. Going back, essentially, to the founding of the modern Jewish state in 1948, Mossad and Shin Bet, the domestic security service in Israel, have been among the most vaunted in the entire world. Mossad, for lack of a better term, is badass. Badass as hell. As is the IDF, of course, the military itself. Well, what the actual hell happened here? Were they just sleeping? People paragliding in to shoot up a festival? Are you kidding me? Who was guarding the borders? Where were the drones? It's completely inexplicable on all fronts. The intelligence failure, the military failure, the lack of being there to prevent this or to stop it once it started. Again, this took months and months of planning. This was not a drive-through by night, little blip on the radar, rockets falling into Sterot or Ashkelon. This was months in the making with a state actor, the Iranian regime, helping them. It is completely and utterly inexplicable that this intelligence did not cross the paths of fairly high-ranking people at Mossad and or Shin Bet, IDF, all the security and intelligence establishment there in Israel. Completely inexplicable. What that means, if I understand and I'm assessing the situation correctly, is that the intelligence was seen by someone and yet was dismissed as frivolous. The question then is why? How in the world did that possibly happen? Well, Hanlon's razor, never assume malice when you can just assume incompetence, I'm paraphrasing that, would suggest that it really just was that, that it was just rank incompetence. That some idiotic decisions were made, and the intelligence that was seen by at least some, if I am assuming correctly that it was there, was just as missed as frivolous. Or, God forbid, it just somehow didn't cross their desks in the first place, which I truly find impossible to believe. But again, because the Israelis are really, really good at this sort of thing, I, I, I'm not sure that I can buy that either. We do not know, obviously, what happened, and that's going to be a conversation over the next few months, is Israel's going to have to do a lot of hard, difficult, introspective work figuring out what the hell went wrong here from a security and intelligence perspective. But I have two possible theories as to what other than rank incompetence might have gone wrong. Recall, as we discussed on the show a little bit, that Israel has been in the midst of a roiling judicial reform domestic crisis for much of this year. The Netanyahu government, led by a Knesset member named Simcha Rothman and the Justice Minister Yariv Levin, has pushed a series of reforms initially to the horrific status quo when it comes to Israel's out-of-control Supreme Court, which is a, a totalitarian institution at this point, following the 1990s judicial revolution self-proclaimed by former President and Chief Justice of the Court Aaron Barak. Nonetheless, despite the very mild incremental nature of these reforms, and especially the fact that the only actual legislation they passed was about as small ball, incremental, really nothing burger as it gets, there have been these horrific protests where the lefties, funded primarily by George Soros and 
left-wing zealot, former Prime Minister Ehud Barak, total dolt. These protesters have been shutting down the airport, shutting down highways, causing all sorts of unprecedented domestic anarchy this year. Well, as my friend Carolyn Glick, a, an Israeli commentator, as she refers to it, Israel has its own equivalent of the deep state. She calls it the deep shtetl, if you get the joke. Well, one theory as to what the hell went wrong here is, was the deep shtetl, a.k.a. libs inside of Mossad and the security apparatus, were they just totally taking their eyes off the ball here because they were trying to effectuate a color revolution against Bibi Netanyahu? Well, that's possible. They were just so distracted. They were too enticed by the opportunity to try to depose the conservative prime minister that many deep state, deep shuttle actors so loathe. That's possible. Another idea, go back to what we were talking about earlier about how Robert Malley via the Iran Exports Initiative was revealed to essentially be an Iranian plant inside the United States. Well, what if Iran did the same thing to Mossad and Shin Bet? You know, the Israelis are, are known for their ability to put assets inside of Iran to get Persian Jews who are working for Mossad, who speak fluent Farsi, who can get in there and do the dirty work that needs to be done. Well, what if the Iranians were able to do that to Israel? What if Iran, following their model with Robert Malley in the U.S., were actually able to infiltrate Mossad and or Shin Bet? Maybe that was the reason that this intelligence, which, again, we are presuming crossed someone's desk at some point over the last few months. Maybe that is the reason that this intelligence was shot down and dismissed as frivolous, was not acted upon. We don't have answers. Hopefully we'll, we will get answers. So for now, we are just speculating. But Israel's going to have to work really hard here to clean house, to restore its badass reputation to the extent that reputation can even be redeemed at this point after this horrific intelligence failure. Again, the worst intelligence failure, at least in 50 years. The fact that something like this happened on Prime Minister Netanyahu's watch is obviously terrible for him politically. He has no choice but to look and act extraordinarily strong here for his own political survival. No choice. His own political survival, if, no, if nothing else, of course. I mean, holding aside the obvious military imperatives, which, which we'll get to here in just a second. Israel's going to have to work really, really hard to get that reputation back, folks. I could possibly see the Saudis and others walking away from peace on these grounds alone. Oh, Israel, I thought that by making peace with you, we'd get to share in your vaunted, amazing intelligence. Oh, whoops. Under your watch, you just saw 700 plus civilians killed, thousands wounded, 100 hostage. Oh, maybe, maybe that peace is not worth the uprising we might get in Riyadh or in Mecca. Perhaps bin Salman and the others there are thinking. U.S. intelligence appears to have missed this too. Not entirely sure what happened there. Obviously, really, really bad. Again, the U.S. helped underwrite this, this assault by the Biden administration's continual funding of the Palestinian Authority, which is different than Hamas, but I find it impossible to believe that the Palestinian Authority or some folks there were not in on this, did not know about it to some extent. The money to Iran, which is the actual state actor behind all of this, Another way that the U.S. was involved here, by the way, some astute observers noticed that the Hamas militants were not exclusively using, as they often have in the past, Russian rifles, Russian AK-style rifles. Some of them were using M4 platform United States rifles for smaller arms. Where do you think those small arms came from, these American small arms? Well, on a recent show, we had... James Hassan and Jerry Dunleavy to talk about their book, Kabul, and the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. Well, as it turns out, the Taliban over the weekend was actually asking the Iranian regime how it can go ahead and help Hamas in its attempt to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. 
I am quite confident that those guns that Hamas is using, those M4 platform American rifles, are coming from the Taliban laundered via the Iranian regime. Again, that is your United States president, that is your United States taxpayer dollars at work. Unbelievable. That brings us to the focus of the second part of our show here, which is the path forward. The intelligence failure is going to have to be reckoned with. No doubt about that whatsoever. No doubt about that whatsoever. But before dealing with this catastrophic failure of intelligence comes the security, border, and military imperatives. Unfortunately, this happened at a time when the Palestinian Arabs have also been uprising in many ways in the West Bank, in Judea and Samaria. There have been all these horrific deaths over the past year over there, including the terror hotbed of Huara. There was the Lion's Den Islamist outfit, a Muslim Brotherhood radical offshoot in Nablus. The IDF had an operation there a few months ago. All sorts of random horrific killings. The wife and two daughters of Rabbi Leo D. murdered in cold blood in their car earlier this year. Just god-awful stuff. But the focus right now, obviously, is on Gaza. Is on what the hell has to happen with Gaza. So after cleaning out the remaining terrorists who are actually fighting in the streets, after rooting them out, the focus turns to Gaza, to what to do with Hamas. Tragically, of course, this comes at a time where, as we just said, there have been an estimated 100 or more who have been taken hostage, civilian and military alike, grandmothers, babies. Hamas makes no distinction whatsoever. If they're not going to rape you or slaughter you, they're going to take you captive. These people are barbaric, barbarians straight from hell. This looks like it is going to be an intense operation, as it, of course, should be. The defense minister of Israel, Yoav Gallant, quote, the rules of war have changed. We will cripple Gaza so that it will remember it for the next 50 years. Netanyahu has no choice whatsoever but to respond differently in kind here than in any other conflict between Israel and Hamas. There is simply no choice whatsoever. This is going to be a long, sustained ground operation, probably involving tens of thousands of Israeli soldiers to once and for all root out, extirpate, and eradicate Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and any jihadist terror infrastructure in Gaza whatsoever. The terror tunnels, the rockets, all of it. Israel first should be working as closely as possible with Palestinian Arab civilians there to try to get them out. Get the civilians out before this thing really picks up in earnest. Ideally, of course, they go to the state attached to a next door being Egypt. Not that Egypt wants them, but I have seen that Egypt and Jordan, Israel's first two peace partners from the late 70s and mid-90s, respectively. Apparently, they are working with Hamas to free the hostages, so that is good at least. Not that Egypt wants to take any of these Palestinian Arabs in Gaza. They're the people that no one in the Arab world wants. They're the least sympathetic people imaginable in this part of the world or anywhere. But the IDF should nonetheless be trying, and the United States ideally would get involved here, if for no other reason the fact that some of the hostages, by the way, happen to be American, American dual citizens, or American just single citizens. So ideally, Israel and the U.S. would be working with Egypt and President el-Sisi there with some combination of carrots and sticks to try to get them to take in as many Palestinian Arab civilians as possible before this thing really starts to escalate in earnest and the bombings start to get intense. Whether that can happen, I don't know. But one preliminary focus needs to be on getting as many civilians from Gaza out as possible. More to the point... After they have been evacuated as many as possible, raise and flatten to the ground as much as needs to happen. This simply has to end at this point. 
There is no more mowing the lawn, which is the jargon that the IDF sometimes uses for these recurring missions in Gaza to bomb some assets in response to a barrage of rockets. No more mowing the lawn. What Hamas has done here is different in kind than any other war. There is no more of the status quo. The rules have changed. No country should ever live in fear of rockets raining in on your town, of jihadists shooting up a music festival off a paraglider. Are you kidding me? Enough is enough. You know, my friend Joel Pollack, the senior editor-at-large of Breitbart, a religious Jew, he, he actually waited over the weekend. He, by his own admission, he actually broke the Shabbat and holiday to deliver this news. So here is what Joel Pollack said. He, he, he tweeted on Saturday, quote, I have broken the Sabbath and Jewish holiday to deliver this message. Israel should wipe out Gaza, allow 48 hours to evacuate women, children, and the elderly, destroy everything that remains, plow it under, and annex it to Israel. This is the end for Hamas and Palestinian terror. That is essentially where I come down on this. It is complicated by the hostage situation. We believe that most of the hostages are held in the tunnels. So before you start raising and flattening, there's going to have to be some elements here of boots on the ground trying to get into the tunnels to evacuate some of these hostages, if God willing, they are even still alive. But there is no other alternative to what Joel Pollack has laid out here. Many others have laid out. Destroy what remains. For 15 to 16 years, the Gaza Strip has been nothing but a despicable, atrocious, and catastrophic breeding ground for the worst kind of Islamist terrorism you can ever imagine. All the aid money that flows in there, whether it is quote-unquote humanitarian or otherwise, from the United Nations, the European Union, the NGOs, gullible liberal Americans, any other useful idiots, the money all gets plowed into the coffers of Hamas. The concrete gets used for the terror tunnels. The steel gets used for weaponry. It all gets used for this genocidal, fanatical 1988 charter-based call to destroy Israel and kill the Jews. This ground operation needs to be as long as it takes to succeed. Flatten it after the civilians get out and re-annex and re-militarily occupy Gaza. I don't necessarily expect that to happen. That is what should happen. In the same way that the IDF has a military presence, a strong military presence in the Jordan Valley, on the perimeters, and sometimes on the interior of Judea and Samaria in the West Bank, even though the Palestinian Authority has some level of day-to-day governance there, at least in areas A and B of the Oslo Accords, not area C, that has to happen in Gaza as well. There has to be an IDF military reoccupation. There is no other way. Only then can we start rebuilding a regime that is not fundamentally and unequivocally committed to destroying Israel and killing the Jews. This is going to take time. It is not going to be a short operation. But it is extraordinarily important that enough is enough. Get it right this time. Netanyahu is smart enough to know that his political career, if nothing else, Depends on it, too. In addition to the operation in Gaza, Mossad really should start taking out Hamas leadership outside of Gaza. So Hamas leaders don't actually live inside Gaza since Gaza is such an unambiguous shithole at Hamas's own doing. Most of them live in Doha, Qatar. Some live in Turkey. The Mossad needs to start figuring out how to assassinate Hamas leadership in Doha, assuming that we can't extricate them because now, even with the American hostages there, what you could do is you could demand that Doha, Qatar, that Qatar turn over Hamas leadership to face for the war crimes that they have committed because their people have indiscriminately raped, murdered, taken civilians hostage, all unambiguous war crimes, obviously. You could put Qatar really in the crosshairs there and see what they say, Qatar being a particularly troublesome actor when it comes to the international funding of Islamism and the Muslim Brotherhood via its Al Jazeera network and all that, despite its 
trying to style itself as a purported U.S. ally. It'd be really interesting to see what would happen if the U.S. would do that. Short of that, Mossad needs to start taking out Hamas leadership in Doha. For that matter, they should start making some high-ranking mullahs inside Tehran start to mysteriously disappear. That would be a very, very appropriate and proper response to what is, at this point, an unambiguous Iranian state assault. Again, the means were Hamas, but this is coming from Iran. Do not make any doubt about this whatsoever. Hezbollah, what are they going to do? That's another major question here. The worst nightmare scenario for a long time has been the fear of a two-front war in the south and the north from Hezbollah. From Hamas in the south, Hezbollah in the north. They are lining up on Lebanon. The IDF is telling some Israeli communities in the Golan Heights way up north to evacuate, to make room in case they need to get involved with Hezbollah too. Again, all the army reserves have called up. This is going to be a dicey, dicey situation if Hezbollah gets involved up north. That is an Iranian asset, Hezbollah. They have much more sophisticated weaponry than Hamas does. It is the nightmare scenario for the Israeli security brass to have a two-front war if that is what it ultimately comes to. In addition to once and for all solving the situation in Gaza, this simply has to be the death of the so-called two-state solution. There will never, ever, ever be a so-called Palestinian state after the events of October 7th, 2023. Anyone who was ever delusional enough to think that there would be needs to sober the hell up, plant their two feet firmly on the ground, and buckle in. Because it ain't happened at this point. As anyone who's even remotely historically literate knows, in the aftermath of World War I, when the European powers carved up the Middle East, the Sykes-Picot Agreement, it was actually Jordan that all along was supposed to be the original quote-unquote Palestinian state. To this day, roughly two-thirds of Jordan is ethnically quote-unquote Palestinian. In fact, the king of Jordan is an ethnic minority in his own country. If you think that Israel is ever going to make territorial concessions, land for peace again, after what happened here in the 18-year-to-date aftermath of the 2005 unilateral disengagement from Gaza, you are out of your damn mind. It'll be interesting as well to see how involved the United States is going to be here over the next few weeks. Again, Americans are among the hostages. There will be no American boots on the ground. Israel would never even accept that, even if that were a possibility. But the fact that there are Americans among the hostages should militate in favor of heightened United States activity, whether it is intelligence, whether it is diplomacy covering for Israel, whenever the inevitable outcry comes from the idiots in the UN, the EU, Brussels, Turtle Bay, all that. How will this change U.S. policy towards Iran? Well, that's... That's a major question as well to follow here over the next few months. This came from Iran, no doubt about it. Will the Biden administration finally, finally start its ceaseless flirtations with the world's number one state sponsor of fundamentalist jihadist evil, the Iranian regime? We will see. But if they were ever going to do so, the revelations of the Iran Experts Initiative... Robert Malley's previous suspension of his, of his security clearance earlier this year, and now this, that really, really ought to do it. As far as finally, once and for all, getting the Biden administration away from this outrageous, outrageous flirting with the fundamentalist zealots in Tehran. The weeks ahead are going to get ugly. Right now, leftists in the United States and elsewhere are saying the same thing. The usual idiots who call for the, for the two-state solution, who exude all sorts of pro-Palestinian Arab sympathy. Right now, they are mostly, mostly, not exclusively, but mostly saying the right things. The Biden administration thus far, aside from some tweets to the contrary, are mostly saying the right things. The European powers are mostly saying the right things. The Reichstag, the German parliament, even lit up in the Israeli flag. Pretty wild, given the history, the extraordinarily bleak and tragic history of the Jews in Germany. How long will this Western support actually last? Will it last long enough for Israel to actually do what needs to be done in Gaza and elsewhere? Remains to be seen. 
certainly within a week of the tanks rolling into Israel, of the bombs starting to drop, of the buildings starting to be raised, of what needs to happen to fundamentally once and for all end this cancer, this cancer to the world that is Hamas, this cancer to the world that threatens Israelis' day-to-day existence every single day, this cancer to the world that denies every single Palestinian Arab civilian inside Gaza, him or herself, the ability to lead any kind of fruitful, productive, or meaningful life. Will the Western powers support Prime Minister Netanyahu's seeing through this mission, this noble, just, righteous, proportionate response? I don't know, but they really, really need to. And the United States, because, again, of the hostage situation, the fact that its citizens are there in the terror tunnels underneath Gaza, has no other choice. This is a completely unambiguous conflict. I make fun sometimes of... Some neoconservative commentators were trying to paint every kind of foreign policy conflict into a very neat dichotomy of World War II style all out good versus all out evil. The Ukraine-Russia fight would be one example that I don't think necessarily fits into that oversimplified paradigm so easily. One fight that does fit into that oversimplified paradigm remarkably easy is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in general and especially Israel versus Hamas, for God's sake. This is a morally unambiguous fight. You have a peaceful people trying to live their lives. The modern state of Israel having given so much to the world when it comes to the technology industry, so many other innovations and advancements in science, medicine, technology, robotics, you name it. And you have a cancerous, Islamist, genocidal hellhole dedicated to indiscriminate death, destruction, despair, wanton, raping, pillaging. This is an unambiguous fight. And anyone who is trying to make this fight out to be more complicated than it needs to be is an absolute moron who you should promptly unfollow and or block. Get those morons out of your life. No one has time for that shit. It's going to get ugly. Again, as I know all too well via my fiance and her family over there. We'll conclude this show with with a prayer for the men and women of the Israel Defense Forces. He who blessed our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, May he bless the fighters of the Israel Defense Forces who stand guard over our land and the cities of our God from the border of the Lebanon to the desert of Egypt and from the great sea unto the approach of the Arava on the land, in the air, and on the sea. May the Almighty cause the enemies who rise up against us to be struck down before them. May the Holy One, blessed be he, preserve and rescue our fighters from every trouble and distress and from every plague and illness. And may he send blessing and success in their every endeavor. May he lead our enemies under our soldiers' sway, and may he grant them salvation and crown them with victory. And may there be fulfilled for them the verse, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you to battle your enemies for you to save it. Now let us say, Amen.